whether you eat or drink. Whatever you do. 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 Or whatever you do. Do all to the glory of God. Welcome to Whatever You Do. I'm Danny. And I'm Abby. We're just best friends trying to figure out how to bring glory to God in whatever you do. Welcome back to episode 30. Abby feels like it's a big milestone. (laughs) And Danny doesn't. I feel like it's fine. Maybe she just likes the even number, like the tens that it's like. Yeah. It just feels like. Did you feel like our 20th episode was a big milestone? I never noticed. Oh, but if you would have. Maybe. Maybe 25th. I don't know. 30 just feels like. (laughs) Wow, we've really done 30 of these, huh? I'm waiting until 50 to feel that way. Yeah, well. But those of you we're celebrating who want to with celebrate. Abby, I'll celebrate with you. <laughs> we have survived. Yeah. 30, 30 episodes. Um so we kind of jumped into some crazy I mean, it wasn't really that crazy of topics. It was actually just normal topics that we wanted to talk about, but we finally went there last week and but in the midst of that we spent our whole hour doing that and never gave you guys any life updates so what's your life update right now abby our addition is done you guys have made it through that that feels like a bigger (laughs) milestone milestone than 30 episodes yeah you made it through abby's addition yeah really it's done like 99 percent yeah amira has to go in the bathroom tomorrow morning and, and then some shower head has to be switched out. But it's done and we moved in and they took all their stuff and now they have to like contact me to set up time to do They can't things. just come in her house anymore. Yes. So. so we moved all the girls stuff in their room and they're getting ready to go to bed in there. Grayson's been begging to go to bed for the last hour. How do you <laughs> feel about that? It feels weird. It really does. Basically, it kind of made a split floor plan. So yes. before all the bedrooms were on one side of the house, and now some of the bedrooms are going to be on the other side of the house. And, and so. it feels really far away from our master. And I've, we've never had kids sleep far from us. So I feel a little... I'm trying not to let Grayson know I'm nervous about it because yeah, then she would be really nervous. But idea. she's really excited, and I'm just like, mm-hmm. I mean, you have to bite the bullet right. sometimes. Yes. It's not like you're going to keep her over there for the next three years. Right. So that'll be great. Yeah, that's exciting. Yep. And today, I'm. How many weeks are you? <laughs> I'm 25 weeks today. Okay, so I'll. I'm 22, almost almost 23, which was really exciting because I think it was last night or the night before. Chip has no idea. Like he goes, so her, I liked that he was like trying. (laughs) He goes, so are you like 23 weeks on Saturday, which is what you are, which is kind of funny. (laughs) I think he didn't even put that together, but I was like, I'm actually 25 weeks on Thursday. He's like, what? 25? That's great. So I feel like the fact that even though I knew where I was and it wasn't like this big epiphany for me, the fact that for him it was like, Mm -hmm. oh, this is exciting. It's like, oh, this is exciting. (laughs) So, yeah, 25 weeks. You're almost 23 and we're getting round. Mm -hmm. How are you feeling? good i'm finally feeling i felt my baby for a while now but i feel like there's always that like shift where you're like okay now i'm like it goes from the little gas bubbly fluttery type here and there movements to like yeah oh hello baby like high arm yeah or leg or butt so that's been kind of fun i've had many i was actually looking through some records that i had gotten from my old ob showing a lot of my pregnancy stuff and I was realizing that I've had a lot of anterior placentas but this baby does not. What is an anterior placenta? Share with us, Dan. An anterior placenta means that the placenta is on the front or anterior part of your 
uterus anterior meaning so a lot of times it feels like away from the a pillow or a cushion it cushions a lot of the movements and you don't feel the baby quite as strongly sometimes it can be harder to like hear the baby but i've never had any problems i think the only one that i would say felt more quiet was rika and my second baby and i'm guessing that that was because of his anterior mm-hmm. placenta but Overall, typically I have still very active and easy to feel babies, but this baby has a posterior placenta, which means that the placenta is in the back of the uterus. So towards your back? It's definitely been... Can feel a lot more. Lots of strong movements already. Already been getting the baby moving on video, which feels Mm -hmm. really early for that to me, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that'll be real fun at the end there. (laughs) Whole elbows and knees are trying to make their way out of my abdomen. Yeah. So you're feeling your baby. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Overall, I feel like things are... I'm still having a lot of back pain, which I was hoping would be kind of done by now, but... Thankfully, you haven't, like, 100% fully thrown your back yes. out yet. Yes. So glad Hopefully for that. Hopefully, you won't do that. Yes. Because that's real special and fun for life. Yeah. It's just gets sore. But yes. Lots of Epsom salt baths. Yep. Heating pad, ice. All the things. Sometimes I wear my brace when I remember. We've been taking magnesium. Mm-hmm. Not consistently. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I probably could, but so anyway, what about you? 25 weeks, anything? I've been, I definitely have kind of settled into this place of, I'm not going to be extreme with watching my carbs because I felt like that wasn't going the direction that I was hoping it would go Mm -hmm. as far as I didn't feel like it made much of an impact on my blood sugars and I feel like my blood sugars are pretty much fine without worrying about that and Mm -hmm. almost sometimes seemed worse for my fasting blood sugar when I was being really strict about carb intake Mm -hmm. so I'm not being crazy but I'm having a piece of organic whole wheat toast with my eggs and bacon in Mm -hmm. the morning instead of just not and things like that but I have I still do think there's some correlation even though I can't track it necessarily and and prove it through any sort of numbers I think that overall as I progress in pregnancy especially that I mean I guess even earlier on it's just manifests itself in different ways but that sugar isn't something that helps me to have a a lot of it Mm -hmm. um earlier in pregnancy I feel like that shows up more in just being more nauseous and having having more trouble getting out of the morning sickness Mm -hmm. cycle um but later in pregnancy I feel like it just does have some effect on my baby and how my body is processing things. It's it's funny because I feel like I can still totally pass any sort of blood sugar test. So it's not necessarily, I don't exactly know what it does or how it contributes, but I've pretty much cut sugar way down. I wouldn't say I cut it out completely. Like today, I had a handful of almonds with some chocolate chips as a snack in the afternoon, and I don't feel like something like that is going to... And I won't do that every day, but mm-hmm. I feel like having something like that occasionally is different than, you know, eating like donuts for breakfast or things like that. Yeah. That, or a, a bowl of ice cream or, I don't know, not that I would, I mean, almond milk ice cream, which is gross. <laughs> yeah. With a brownie. That would make it better, but yes. that would also really drive up the sugar <laughs> content. You know, and so that'll be interesting to navigate. It's always kind of unfun to figure that out throughout the holiday season mm-hmm. when it feels like there's lots of, even if you kind of try to limit it to events, it feels like there's a lot of events that have really yummy 
uh, celebratory yeah. beverages and foods that are kind of, I don't know. It can just get hard to know the balance and easy to let, well, I had one thing and then I'm just going to have one more thing. and Yeah. But I don't think I have to be... I'll just have to see. I feel like with Deke at the end, it was bad enough that I I had symptoms that felt bad enough. I had enough things going on that I was willing. Yeah. I didn't even want to, I don't even know if how much association it had, but I was willing to do Mm -hmm. whatever to try to not feel yucky. Yeah. So including not having pie on Thanksgiving because... I didn't want to be eating sugar while I was still pregnant, but she was born the next day and I got to have my piece of pie. Mm. So, yeah, that'll be fun to navigate through. Yeah. We get to go on a little mini getaway this weekend. Yep. To Prescott. I've never been there. I I can't say I've ever been to the town of Prescott. We, growing up, our church did a church camp in Prescott uh, often, okay. like many years in a row. So I've gone to some church camp somewhere in the area, but I hadn't even been to Sedona until oh. we went, I think when, maybe I've gone one time before. We went out for Austin and Elisa's wedding. Mm-hmm. That was the first time I'd been. I know, but I've lived here like yeah, my entire life. True. So we're only going for the day. It's a one day. We're actually staying overnight. Yes, so we are. Melissa got a hotel room and graciously invited us to share it with Crash her. it. Yep. So the guys are on kid duty. And they are so excited about it. <laughs> Yeah, they're not... They're not at all sad when leaving. I'm not exactly sure, like, what they think they're going to do, but... Yeah. I think they have I lots of ideas. I try not to, like, think I'd, about any of that. I'd just let them do whatever they want. They, um, yeah. Well. <laughs> try to keep the kids alive. It's their family, too, mm-hmm. so... Anyway... So we're recording a day. I guess that's not really why, but normally we're recording late on Friday night, but I got plans. Big Friday night plans. Mm -hmm. So we're doing Thursday night this week. Yep. And that's kind of life right now. I don't feel like there's much else that's super exciting. I know you guys are dying to know how my getting organized with life has been going i'm only a week behind i feel like i wanted to be organized and starting our new schedule and new school stuff by this past monday Mm -hmm. and i'm feeling more confidently on track for the coming up monday but you know it's not too bad i'm not really sure how (laughs) it could be a giant flop once we start it because barely feel like we're hanging on without doing much school yeah. and we're about to add in a bunch more so see how it goes but I don't know I'm feeling optimistic and motivated today so that's a change from well, how that's I've good. felt some of the other days when I've been hopefully you'll feel that locking, way on Monday locking myself in my bathroom <laughs> crying and listening to Philippians <laughs> yeah but see I mean guys it happens you just have to go to god go to his word and mm-hmm. then just pick yourself up and keep moving one step in front of the other so we're done with life updates we promised ourselves that after our big finally jumping into real birth talk birth talk we weren't gonna just do hour-long life updates anymore since that's what we've been doing trying to put off our yeah so and our husbands are really bored of that you yeah. <laughs> don't want us they to want do us that. to keep talking about the whole point of why we started 
I was going to say controversial things, but the point isn't to be controversial. And they're not like, yeah, be controversial. We want you to stir up trouble. But they know what some of our frustrations are and the reasons that we wanted to bring up discussions. Mm -hmm. And they think it's important. And they've seen the ways that it's affected and changed our lives and our families. And so because of that, they're excited for us to actually do what they feel like they are supporting us and setting out to do. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we broadly touched on a lot of things last time, but Abby said she, she's she been feeling good about knowing what she wants to talk about now. <laughs> so No, she's just going to throw me under the bus well, like that. Well, I don't know. I don't know what we're, I don't know where we're going, so. I don't either. I felt like just good about continuing on and oh, the I discussions. I don't what, have something specific. I thought you knew a discussion to continue on in. No, um, I think a lot Maybe of... Maybe we don't actually know what we're talking about at all. I think a lot of like the questions and things I've been thinking over are, why does it matter? Like, Why does this part of life matter at all? Birth. Like... Why should we be thinking through it and trying to make specific decisions and own the responsibility of it and, um, you know, look at pros and cons of different decisions and why not just let the process occur and then move on because it's a small part of our life and it, like, why does it matter or does it? Right. So... What are your thoughts on all of that? What have you been thinking about all of that? Um, I think I've been just thinking over how this is like the moment that you are becoming parents and really having to like make decisions for your family that isn't ever going to stop. Like what, how you choose to school your kids, whether you're and really even like, labor and birth itself isn't that moment. Yes. Even when you really think about it and want to take a really far step back, this goes almost back to our controversial topics of very early on of even the decision in your marriage and taking the responsibility of deciding what you're going to do as far as limiting your family or planning your family. and. And when you look at those decisions and why those decisions matter and if they do, if we should have the control to, you know, say when we are ready to have a baby or not ready to have a baby and then what means we use to prevent pregnancy or try to conceive, um, how we can't say that that doesn't matter because it does. These, these are like our first decisions as parents that God has given us the responsibility to make that it is important to weigh different decisions and to look at research and to look at risks and benefits and and make the decisions for your family, not just willy-nilly, oh, everyone does this. Everyone gets on birth control and waits five years before they start having kids, so we're just going to do that so we can... Follow the norm. The responsibility yet, and do what we want. Um, one thing that's interesting to me, and we've talked about these examples probably even on some of our other episodes, but there, it's it's difficult sometimes to lay out a solid biblical start to finish. This is the reason why we honor the process God has created. And it's especially hard when we're dealing with things that the culture has changed so much. So the area of birth control is one where when you really stop and think about, okay, let's go back to the very beginning. You just have a man and his wife, and they get married, mm-hmm. then if you just let that play out alone mm-hmm. by itself, they're going to become one flesh. They're going to be united sexually. Right. And God then has created 
the possibility of bringing forth life from that union. And when you see people then implement this step of we're always going to use birth control from Mm -hmm. the moment that we get married and prevent that process from making that, like, going to that ends unless we decide we want to. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of interesting, like, well, what makes us think what... You have to almost have an argument of why you would put those things into action as opposed to why you would... But but we're kind of forced in our culture to defend it the other way around. Right. Like, why would we not do these things? Right. But when you bring up different examples where that isn't the case. So we've talked about examples like, are feeding tubes ever necessary? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Are they necessary most of the time? No. But why not? Because God created our bodies in the process in which we eat. And our bodies work. And we chew food and we have saliva and we swallow our food and it goes into our stomachs and our stomachs digest Mm -hmm. that. And are there times that people don't have proper enzymes and need to take enzymes to help that process? Right. Yes. Are there times that people can't swallow correctly and they aspirate and it goes in their lungs and they get pneumonia all the time and they, they shouldn't be eating food or drinking liquid or whatever right or they're sick and they're in a coma or like there's so many different reasons why we can see that the ability to give someone food through a Mm -hmm. tube and there's all different there's tubes that go down your nose there's tubes that go down your throat there's tubes that are directly placed into your stomach there's tubes that bypass your stomach completely there's medical terms for all of these and abby (laughs) could name them all ng g tube gj um but it, we don't then say, well, I mean, somebody could choke on their food and die. What's the chances of that? Not super high, but... Right. But we don't just give everyone feeding tubes because they could choke, choke on, their on food them and, and die. die. And right. this prevents us all from choking and dying because... Mm-hmm. and. A doctor would think you were crazy, and it would even be considered child abuse if you said, well, I'm afraid that my child might choke on their food and die, Mm -hmm. so I'd just like you to give them a feeding tube. Or it's just really convenient for me as a parent to not have to prepare all these meals and just give them a slow drip of formula. just throw together... (laughs) Which, by the way, isn't convenient, but... Right, but there are people who might start thinking that way, and... So, but, so that, our would, but tube- that would never be acceptable. That right. wouldn't be accepted by anyone at this point. Right. Because- but are feeding tubes wrong? Are feeding tubes sinful? No. We can be thankful for feeding tubes. We can be thankful for the medical advances that allow us to have feeding tubes. But why would we say that every single person shouldn't just even just have the choice? Why would we think they're a little bit crazy if right. someone just said, well... You know, I just, just feel fits like into my life better. And I just feel like I'm more comfortable with a feeding tube, and I would rather. Right, and I don't want to risk and, choking. You know, I choked this one time, and so now I'm. I'm just gonna do this because it's. Right. I just feel like it's safer for me. I mean, there do, but this is where it gets tricky, and there are lines that are hard. When do when is the problem? great enough that now right. this intervention and this different thing and going to this place that isn't the natural design of things mm-hmm. really truly is safer and better mm-hmm. and is what someone needs. We can't always answer that right. for people. That's I we, think there are sometimes situations where it's clear. Mm-hmm. It's everybody can agree. Well, yes, that seemed like right. the obvious mm-hmm. choice that you should make. Yes. And our our advocating is not that everyone just makes the choices that we would make. Our advocating is people start to make decisions and look at research and look at facts and... And look at risks and look at where these things can go. I think that's another thing. So there's certain information out there that would say that necessary, life-saving... 
appropriate C-section statistics should be, what is it? Like, under, under 15, under 10%. I, don't I was going to say 10 to 15%. We it, go look it up. Don't quote us on that. We're not trying, but in America, I think they're around 30 to 35% right now. Yeah, at least. I thought it was more like 40, but it might have be up. I don't know. Yes. But I know that there's other countries. And, and so you might say, well, I mean, that's a little bit more, and but it's worth it. I mean, how there are going to be some C-sections that happen that we, you couldn't know for sure if it was going to really be necessary or not, and it's okay to have it be a little bit higher. But there 32%. are... 32%. Okay. There then there's other countries. I think Brazil is one of the highest yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, the last I heard... It was between 80 and 90%. Yes. Right. So that didn't just happen one day. Mm-hmm. It's not just like... And I think it's pretty obvious, I would hope, that it isn't that because 80 to 90% of people medically have emergencies that they need a C-section just in Brazil. Right. I, that's, I was going to say, I don't... It's not like... Brazilian women were dying left and right in childbirth, and they're like, oh, no, our people need, our people here need C-sections nine out of ten times. It's because things, interventions happened little by little, C-sections got more and more convenient, Mm -hmm. and then C-sections just became the way that was normal for people, and it's almost crazy to think that you wouldn't just schedule your C-section. It just became routine. Right. And I think that's the thing. We want to... We see ways in which the medical system that America has is has created mm-hmm. and is playing out very much leads down to some of those mentalities where those gray lines and being willing and able to take risks on one side and much more taking risks on the medical side, Mm -hmm. partly because it's easier to hand over that responsibility and just do whatever the doctors say. Right. But it doesn't necessarily mean things are safer. Right. I mean, not necessarily. America is not doing well when it comes to... Infant and right. maternal morbidity. There are a lot of maternal right. deaths re- surrounding childbirth in the medical system and babies dying. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't... See, this is one reason why we're terrible at this, because we don't... We don't ever know what we're going to talk about ahead of time. <laughs> sit and pull up all these actual numbers, which we should do, but we're... We're very far down on the list of countries and yes. percentage-wise of how well we're doing. The uh, maternal, so the mother death rate, has more than doubled from um, 10.3 per 100,000 live births in 1991 to 23.8 in 2014. So over 700 women a year die of complications related to pregnancy. And two-thirds, this Harvard Business Review says that two-thirds are preventable. But where are these people dying? What, what like, obviously we don't know the, all of the reasons, but it's not like the medical system has, is preventing deaths, that we're on this trend and slope of, like, really glad that all these medical advances are taking place and we're preventing all of these deaths since 1991. We more than doubled it. Right. And, like we have talked about before as well, there are other ramifications of things like C-sections. I think one thing that I had never even heard of until more recently, probably in the last year or two since I became more interested in all of these things, was some of the complications that can come from multiple C-sections and then being pregnant again Mm -hmm. and the ways that that scar tissue that you have on your uterus can really complicate things with the placenta Mm -hmm. and really create dangerous situations and so when you hear 
of doctors of being unwilling to do more than three or four or five C-sections or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some validity to that. And because yeah. everyone brings more risk and is more dangerous. So can God orchestrate in his sovereignty the necessity for a woman to need four C-sections and then her and her husband go before the Lord and feel in confidence that it's safer for her to not continue to be pregnant and take action to mm-hmm. to to close her womb and have that not be sinful. I would say very much so that that's a, a possibility that that falls under right things that are. I mean, God is sovereign over all of these things, and mm-hmm. it's not that to say that obviously God knows each woman's story but at the same time I think there can be some amount of sadness that can come if a woman was wanting to be able to have more children than that or I mean right and I think that comes back back down to like the very start of this whole thing of trusting God with our family and in like how many children he wants to give us that that is made more challenging. Not to say that you, like, can't do that, but the risks are much greater when you've had well, three C-sections. And not to say that every person is supposed to never do things to prevent having... Right. Yes. ...children. But I think I think what it goes back to is when you view children as the blessing, which mm-hmm. is what the Bible tells us, then not being able to have more children... For whatever reason, because you've been open to more children mm-hmm. and God doesn't give you more, because you have medical complications and you do feel that it's wisest and there are that that God is leading you to take those steps of not having more biological children, there can still be sadness associated with mm-hmm. those decisions, even if you feel that they're done in with a heart before the Lord that is right and right. I mean, and so it's not it's not doesn't really come down to well if the woman wanted to have X amount of kids because there can be women who wanted to have ten kids. God's and they, only going to give them one. Right, one. and they didn't have to have a C-section and their birth went perfectly. But they, mm-hmm. I mean, this isn't about numbers of. Of kids. This the goal is not to just, let's not have C-section so we can have as many kids as possible. Exactly. Right. But there still is some level of... Understanding that when your provider is recommending things at times, they're not thinking of your family in the long term. They're not thinking of the big picture of your family a lot of times. And if they don't hold the same worldview as you, that children are a blessing and that you would potentially want six or eight if God's going to bless you with right. them they're not going to necessarily on your first c-section explain to you well if you continue to have more children and you continue to have more c-sections mm-hmm. these are some of the risks that you're going to be facing right so a lot of women find themselves on c-section four or c-section five and are now dealing with very high risk and complicated pregnancies mm-hmm. and thinking well, my first C-section, I feel pretty confident was necessary, but then I just had C-sections after that because they said, well, since you've already had a C-section, maybe it'd be better. When you really look at statistically, right. it's it's not really, there's not that big right. of a difference between having a VBAC versus not after right. one C-section. I right. mean, there are risks with both options. Absolutely. So... But even with that, VBAC gets played as this huge risk of uterine rupture and the risks of having major abdominal surgery from a C-section. Those are rarely, yeah, discussed. Right. And the true risk of uterine rupture with a VBAC over just potentially having uterine rupture or the placenta, like, abruption Mm -hmm. where the placenta detaches statistically wise they don't they do go up but 
it's still it's not, less than one percent. It's not as dramatic as they might make you feel right. that that it is. They don't give you actual numbers. A lot of times they don't even know the actual numbers. If they're told in their training as a medical provider that this is safer, even if it's just a little bit safer, or even if they have a little bit more control over it, they're going to be more tempted to do those things, sometimes even out of other regulations and policies and their medical malpractice insurance Mm -hmm. rates go up if they allow such and such, like if they're willing to do a VBAC after two C-sections, then their medical malpractice insurance doesn't want to be liable because there's any increase of risk. It's it's still maybe small, but there's any increase. So now they're made to pay a higher premium to protect themselves for insurance. There's just, it's not this simple equation. There's a lot of different aspects that go into it. There's providers who would be totally willing to do certain things, but then the facilities that they work in aren't. The policies are in place that they can't do whatever they would normally Mm -hmm. be okay with doing. You find midwives that are like that, that if they're CNM and they're working in the hospital, they're going to do things one way versus how they're going to treat their moms that come to the birth center versus how they're going to treat their moms that they do home births. But ultimately, would you say having a C-section is a failure? A failure? As a woman? No. No. I don't think having a C-section is a failure as a woman. I do think that there are times, not always, but I do think that there are times that C-sections are a failure of the system that the woman is in to support her body in the way that it needs to be supported. Yeah. I think when you start to learn, like we were talking about last time, the basic ways that your body produces the hormones that it produces in labor and the things that really help support that and enhance that. Mm -hmm. So like we talked about melatonin being something that helps to produce oxytocin and oxytocin is what's needed for contractions. Your uterus and has oxytocin receptors that receive the oxytocin And Pitocin is a synthetic form of oxytocin and works to bring about some of the same reactions, but it doesn't work fully and in the same way. And those, the receptors that are there to receive naturally produced oxytocin don't receive the synthetic pitocin in the exact same way. Right. So while it can produce some similar effects, there are other aspects of it that don't then carry on and carry out the process to produce some of the other hormones that help to regulate things and help to space things appropriately. And that's why you can turn up the pitocin and turn down the pitocin and you're probably going to get a lot stronger and a lot weaker contractions and right. your body can't your your body isn't able to really override that when you're being given it yeah. versus when your body's creating it it's working together with other things to be able to regulate that process more fully right so when you find out how some of these processes are working which is are things that I was never taught in any of my hospital childbirth classes that I attended. Right. It, it becomes, well, is that a failure of the woman's body to be able to progress to where it needed to? Or was that a failure of the system when you go in and you're in labor and now you have people putting needles in your arms and asking you a million questions and there's right. bright lights and there's nurses coming in you've never met before and... I mean, there's so much happening. It's so (laughs) one of the videos that our friend shares in the childbirth education class that we um, that I host at my house is a video on YouTube that was produced in, I believe, Italy. I'm not I think so, but I'm not for sure. And 
basically, again, we, we can take it out of the context of birth and apply it to another very normal and natural physiological function that gets twisted and abused and manipulated and whatever all the time. But that is the act of sex. And we can we know what that's supposed to look like within the the confines in which God gave it to us. Mm-hmm. And that's supposed to be between a husband and a wife. It's mm-hmm. supposed to be this intimate and very connecting moment that isn't just physical, but is... There's hormones that need to be released to do different things. Which is all part of the physical function, but it's also an emotional event. It's also a spiritual event. It's something of, it's a coming together. It's a covenant between a man and his wife. It's something that only happens between that man and that woman Mm -hmm. in, in the way that God created it to be. And... This you, video tries to make this video a it makes a comparison. If you take that process, that that physiological process, of the, creating a baby, and you put it in the same under the same context, it, many of the same hormones that do happen in during labor. sex are the same ones mm-hmm. that happen during labor. Right, just a little in a little bit different ways, but <laughs> it shows. A couple going into the hospital and basically it's it's kind of comparing it to an induction. You know, you're not ready at all to be doing this, but yet. Right. There's like gonna... a doctor that comes in, a nurse that comes in, takes your temperature, your blood pressure, asks them to get undressed and. Get their gowns on. And right. then. And then they're like, go. Like, don't mind us. We're just going to, oh, you want the light dimmed? And they turn the light off. And they're just standing in the corner watching them. But then after time, it's like, don't mind us. We're just here to check your blood pressure again and see if it's getting to the right place it's supposed to be at this point in intercourse. Right. And it's like, okay, if that wasn't a total mood killer and blocking all of the hormones that were just supposed to be happening and now suddenly are not. And I'm really having to put my mind to trying to make this work. And yeah, I mean, so it, it feels like a drastic comparison, except when you think about it, it's really not this Mm -hmm. same process of having a baby is a physiologically normal process That that things like adrenaline or your like fight or flight reactions to things do slow down contractions. It's natural. Like God created that as part of the process for or when- make contractions much more painful and hard to yes. tolerate. Or I mean, it can it can have impacts in lots of different ways. Right. But um, when you transfer to the hospital, when you go to the hospital in labor, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you were just having all of these regular, super strong contractions at home, and all of a sudden you go to the hospital, you're walking through the entire hospital, they're asking you 557 million questions, the lights are really bright where they're trying to poke you, trying to ask you more questions, suddenly your contractions just space out or die down or, like... That and isn't just a coincidence. And to walk and try to do these things to get them going again. Right. And um, not only that, but when you... I feel like I'm losing my train of thought all of a sudden. But <laughs> I was thinking about when... I lost it completely. <laughs> There was something that we were talking about with the hospital and going in. I don't know. Well, anyway, so all of these hormones work together in the process that God created it to work for a reason. The hormones play into one another. The oxytocin opens up receptors in your womb to help beta endorphins to help you cope with labor and think so all these things work together and there are things that those hormones can get interrupted I just remembered okay go ahead i was gonna say another thing that i think a lot of people don't realize is that your cervix your cervix is the opening of your uterus that opens for the baby to come out so it has to dilate to 10 centimeters and i think there's a lot of people who don't understand that it's a sphincter muscle it's Mm -hmm. 
and it opens and closes and it can be open a certain amount and if you tense up or are nervous or someone is sorry didn't put my phone on silent (laughs) someone is putting their hands in to check your dilation that you don't feel comfortable with which I mean when you think about going into the hospital the fact that not only do whoever you've hired as your midwife or care provider not only are they going to probably want to check your dilation and ask to do that at different points, mm-hmm. but random nurses and a lot of random other care providers who you maybe have never even met before right. are going to be asking to do this. And if you've even had like a bad interaction with one of them and then they go to check your dilation, your body can like tense up and say, no, I don't feel comfortable with that. And they might get like oh no like you they were saying you were a six before but i'm i think you're only a four like Mm -hmm. you're you're now going backwards and closing back up Mm -hmm. it it's not necessarily that you're closing back up it's it i mean you are in one sense but i think we're just so some of these things are so misrepresented about what's actually happening right it's not like this thing that just starts opening and slowly opens and isn't going or able to open and close Mm -hmm. throughout the process until, I mean, until the baby's out. It's not like, well, I got to six and then like somehow magically I went backwards. It's not that magic of a thing. It's Mm -hmm. a real thing that your body's doing because you don't feel comfortable I mean, sometimes you even do trust the person and you feel totally relaxed, but it's also it's, still it's not someone... super normal <laughs> to have someone putting their hand up inside of you yeah. and feeling around. I'm for, I mean, sometimes. It, I'm just kidding. Oh gosh. <laughs> well, we've already touched on sex in this episode, so. But all of that to say that that's just one other aspect that I don't think we've even been given the opportunity and chance to think through mm-hmm. the process that's going on in your body and what things might interfere with that and might might make it appear that your body, quote unquote, isn't working right or is failing mm-hmm. and that somebody else might use as leverage to tell you your body is failing or not working right, right. when literally... You could be eight centimeters dilated, have someone you don't like check you and be five centimeters dilated, and one minute later, go back to being eight centimeters dilated and continue the process. And not only that, but the numbers in dilation of before you go into labor or during pregnancy really mean very little. They mean very little because of the fact Especially that before you're actually in labor, like at the end of pregnancy, when right. a lot of times providers will want to check your dilation. And even in labor, I think the part that why they mean very little in labor is because we have some obstetrician who at some point in time just decided that through watching people, he decided that one opening one centimeter an hour was kind of what he thought was a good good time frame. So if you don't open one centimeter per hour and follow their curve, isn't it like the Friedman's curve or something? I think so. Follow their like way of dilating one centimeter per hour that's when they're going to want to introduce things breaking your water give you pitocin fast enough but yet you also hear women who are on the very far other end of the curve who say i was four centimeters dilated and then all of a sudden i felt this huge shift and i was telling the nurse i need to push and they checked and i was 10 centimeters and the baby's head was right there i've attended many births like that where like they just couldn't it's like they like almost don't believe and then ignore them like well 20 minutes later i just checked you and you were three centimeters so there's There's no no way way you're you're about to start pushing 20 minutes later and so they kind of brush it off until the mom just starts pushing and then they're like whoa 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 right and but that totally can happen and does happen all the time yes and so i guess it's not it does matter in the sense that yes your cervix is closed before you're in labor and give birth and yes it does need to open and it needs to open pretty fully for the baby to come out right like in that sense 
we do know that... But the data they want and the data they're collecting... And trying to match up numbers to this handy-dandy little formula... Hasn't even been, like, proven that that's what's the safest way to labor. It's not like there's been this proven fact of if you dilate one centimeter per hour, that provides the least maternal morbidity rates. No, it just was some guy's observation at some point in time with some of his patients that he decided... And, I mean, obviously, when you think about the model in which you're in, in the hospital... They have to be able to, like, gauge and measure and collect their data and move things along. Like, they can't just have a lady there for five days on and off laboring and, like... Right, and it does provide more and more risk on them if a woman is fairly dilated. If you're already seven centimeters dilated, Mm -hmm. but you're no longer really having contractions and aren't in labor... It is safe to say that because you have less to go to be fully open and ready for the baby to come out. That it could happen really quickly. That it could happen more quickly. It could happen very quickly from not being dilated. But it just, I mean, using very little common sense, you can understand that if someone's seven centimeters or eight centimeters and then goes into labor and needs to only open a little bit more, that could happen very suddenly. Mm -hmm. So when I was seven centimeters dilated and not really having strong contractions anymore and really would have just liked to go home and go to bed, I mean, I, I didn't enough to push for that because I was still at a place of kind of feeling confused about what I thought was best and safest and mm-hmm. what I really wanted to do and... And it can be confusing as a mom when you think, oh, this is it, and I'm having my baby, and then things kind of die away, and and you're like, oh, actually, I'm not, but, like, I was ready for this, and this Mm -hmm. is it, and, but they're not going to be chomping at the bit to say, yeah, why don't you go home when you're, right when you're going to go home and go to sleep and then wake up in two hours after your body gets some good rest and is ready to push the baby out all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's understandable why they then keep you. But so in that birth, that was my fifth birth. Um, And when you think through the process and how things are working, so now I am seven centimeters dilated. Contractions have pretty much... They haven't stopped, but they're back to the level of, like, almost stopped. Like, I would consider them, like, this just feels kind of like Braxton Hicks. I don't... Yeah. They're still able to measure them on the monitor because they're still happening, but I would never in a million years have said, I feel like I'm in labor right now and I should be at the hospital. Right. Right. I could have easily slept through them. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I wasn't even for sure, you know, that when I was having them other than watching... The monitor. The monitor that's telling me I'm having them. So, and it's not like I just don't have sensations in my uterus to tell me I'm having. Right, because up until that point, you were having strong contractions. Right, exactly. And so you think about, okay, now I was being put in a situation where I'm not talking to the doctor that I did trust, and I'm not even talking to the doctor who is now in charge of my care. It's all going through nurses. Mm -hmm. So it's not like the doctor comes in and has a discussion with me and tells me their thoughts. It's not like I have even a clue who this doctor is. Right. And when you're kind of being made to feel like, well, this is who is going to allow you to do things you want to do or not allow you to do things. And these recommendations they're recommending are things you've specifically stated you don't want. Right. And it, it that doesn't really give you the... Put you in the place where your hormones are then going to, like, just relax and work. And the love hormones. Be ready to feel safe and mm-hmm. have this baby. And now I'm getting exhausted because I've been there for hours. And now I'm trying to do things to make these contractions, like, forced to come. I'm Mm -hmm. walking and squatting and doing all these different things that is wearing me out even more. And it's so cool because God did create our bodies so much of the time to 
know when we're getting worn down and to put a halt on that process and to allow us to get rest Mm -hmm. if we take advantage of that. And Right. But a lot of times in the hospital setting, it's seen as like a failure and like a, well, "Well, your labor just stalled. And you feel like it's not even like a comfortable, it's not like, well, I'm just going to take a nap for a while with no contractions and hang out here. But yeah. There's definitely this pressure. But it put them in this awkward place because I am as dilated as I am that they don't feel like they can just send me home either Mm -hmm. and so I was pretty adamant that I didn't want Pitocin and at that point I did agree to have my water broken which I was a little bit annoyed at the doctor at the time because I didn't understand I didn't understand the risks I was taking, I'm like, well, I'm this far dilated. It's very possible my water could break anytime. Mm-hmm. And like, why is this such a big deal? But she understood the fact that if the baby isn't fully engaged and like that there could be cord prolapse, she understood the fact that if the baby's in a weird position, it makes it harder for the baby to get into a better position. But she didn't tell me these things. She just told me, mm, I wish the baby was a bit, a little bit lower, but I guess it's fine. We'll do what you want. And broke my water. And then I learned those things after mm-hmm. the fact that, like, that wasn't the smartest decision to make. But because I was being stubborn and not wanting to have Pitocin. Right, but even that, it's not like you had for- informed consent to be able to weigh, okay, Pitocin or having my water, if you wanted to do an intervention, but like Pitocin right. or having your water break in, these are the risks of this, these are the risks of this, and like I talking knew out. the risks of the Pitocin because right. I'd done my own research. Right. And they kind of thought I was stupid for caring about some of those risks because in their minds they have things to take care of those risks. Right. So... If it's too painful, you get an epidural. If it's making your blood pressure go up, you get an epidural. If it's, I mean... And then if the epidural makes your blood pressure go down, you have more bags of fluid. And you, yeah, or you get shots of different stimulants to bring things back up, which I've had with my epidural births and can be put on oxygen if your oxygen levels feel like they're going low and all these different things that they they feel comfortable with that because they're like oh this is the answer right here right, we it. can and just manage it that's right. fine um so i knew enough that i didn't want that but she didn't really go through like well this is do you understand but that's because she she wasn't giving me the option of doing anything she wanted to be over too right and she understood that if I'm not going to get it over with with Pitocin, this is the next best thing I can do to try right. to get it over with. So even though she was doing nothing wasn't really an option. Because they needed their bed freed up and mm-hmm. they needed to move the process along and I wasn't really doing much anymore. And I was, but I was too far along to go home. Like, so there's just... <laughs> When you don't even hear these stories and you don't even know them and you don't even know to question these things, it really makes it harder to make decisions about, I I mean, that was really ultimately what led to my decision to have my next baby at home. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of reasons now, but ultimately at that point in time, it was, well... I don't feel comfortable going into the hospital at the point in which I went in the last time. Even though I was seven centimeters dilated and clearly felt like I was in labor, now I know that if my body needed more rest, for whatever reason, it could just stop. Mm -hmm. And I don't really want to be stuck in the hospital again and put in the position of having to make one of these choices, either... Using Pitocin, which I don't want to do, having my water broken, which I don't want to do, or really kind of being this stinker patient who's refusing to do anything and just taking up space and having them all get annoyed and wonder why you're so stubborn and Mm -hmm. why you're there and, you know, all of that. So there's just, I don't know. I think that... One thing I was remembering 
is we kind of did like short little recaps of a lot of our birth stories early on, just kind of going over what Mm -hmm. that, you know, Abby has had a C-section and she's had home births and she's had hospital births and I've had hospital epidural births and unmedicated hospital births and home births and um, one unassisted birth, if you will. I think that's so funny because I don't really see it as feeling that different of a birth. It's funny to me that some people would see it as really drastically Mm -hmm. different. There's a lot of people that do, but I didn't feel that way. Um, But we've never, we, we kind of said at the beginning we would take time and go through different birth stories that was what I was thinking about episodes. talking out a little bit more was Cade's birth and compared with Grayson's birth in. I feel like we could go through several of our birth stories and, and talk about what we knew at the time and why we made the decisions we made mm-hmm. and how those decisions impacted us mm-hmm. in that birth and how they impacted us yeah. going forward to other births and why we And feel- why I feel like for me it was more of like how I had major sin idolization issues but on two complete opposite ends of the spectrum in those two different births and how that is important to like the answer is not just like well, the more holy option is to just have your baby at home. Like, absolutely that's not. not the, that's not what we're saying at all. That you can and still have. We feel very confident that there are a lot of births that really it is the safer option to have them in the hospital, mm-hmm. and yeah, that it isn't a bad choice to get an epidural or it isn't a bad choice to get a C-section or whatever the case Again, may be. Again, utilizing the tools when they become medically necessary, but, like a feeding tube. But we have to go back to understanding what does it look like for things to go normal and are we supporting that first? Right. Mm-hmm. And then being able to evaluate when things aren't going normal and now going to medical treatment and medical care. And I think that honestly feels like the foundation of like what we want to talk about. We don't want to talk about natural birth because we think it's like... The holy grail of birth world. Right. And if everyone could just strive to have births like this and if you don't, you're a failure. And if you don't, you're not getting a trophy. Like... That's not the point of, like, why we want to discuss these things. We want to discuss these things so we can all understand. And it's not to mom shame. It's so that we can all understand what is the normal process that God created that's supposed to take place. Not to say that everyone is going to have that or that everyone should experience that because we know there's still a fall that interrupts that. And even within that, I think there's times that we feel like... Well, then why why did God let me experience these massive effects of the fall and w- to, to the point that it was necessary t- for me to have a C-section? Why am I undergoing this really difficult thing mm-hmm. right now where it is starting to feel like induction is the safer thing for me and my baby? Mm-hmm. And it's confusing. And I feel like I've tried to support and manage and do everything in a God-honoring way. And now I'm not... He's not allowing me or whatever. I mean, there's women who think this way. God does allow hard things to happen to us and things we don't understand and things we wouldn't choose and a lot of different things to mm-hmm. sanctify us. I yeah. mean, you look at, we've just been reading in the Bible reading challenge with Christ Church in Idaho, the story of like going through Genesis again and Joseph mm-hmm. being sold into slavery by his brothers. Like obviously that was isn't God's plan for the family. Isn't right. for brothers to sell their brothers into slavery. Right. And yet we see multiple times throughout that story where Joseph can acknowledge but God meant for this to happen, and he was bringing me here all along. Mm-hmm. Even if it was through sinful actions or fallen actions or broken actions, God, like, that's one of the great mysteries of God being good and God being holy and God being righteous and God being sovereign 
and how he can work in and through the brokenness and sinfulness Mm -hmm. of this world and yet do that for our good and for his glory. Mm -hmm. But sometimes we want to think, well, our good is only what we want. Right. Not. And that's where I was saying it's easy to then idolize like. Well, what would be best for me then is God's original plan of just having this natural birth go perfectly and seamless. And sometimes that's not. Right. And that doesn't mean someone failed or that they just didn't do enough research or do eat well enough. Like there is a fall that takes place. Right. That interrupts this entire thing at times. And but God- we still, it's still okay to talk about, to learn about, to educate, to have conversations about what is the starting place of how did God create this to be? That doesn't, that's not wrong to have these discussions. And it, and it's still somehow, I still don't quite know how, how we explain it completely, but it still does, there's still some amount of just, for lack of better term, common sense and understanding that because there's brokenness and the need for interventions it doesn't mean that we just start to jump to ev- putting those interventions on everybody and right and we have somehow our god is gracious to allow us to come to knowledge and figure out processes and figure out ways to intervene and to use these different tools and resources right. to save lives but there's very much an aspect of the medical community at times that turn the doctors into the all-knowing and the life savers and the life givers. And, and I, they also start a lot of times from a very different place. They don't start from like, God created this process to work in this perfect way. And if something goes outside of that and there's red flags that come up, then we handle it. They a lot of times start from, this is a medical and emergency. This is a disease. This is something that we need to control and manage Mm -hmm. and not coming at it from, well, this is probably normal until something shows. Otherwise they come at it from, this is absolutely not normal and we need to get as much control over it as we can. Right. And there goes our longest episode. I'm just going to keep getting longer and longer. If we talk about this stuff, we will. We won't, but we have to cut out our life updates then. But we know you guys still want to hear about our lives. Maybe not, but <laughs> we're still going to tell you. You can just skip over that part if you want a shorter episode. Anyway, well. We love your feedback. Yeah, let us know. Other things. Let us know what you think. Throw questions our way. If you feel like we've said something that you strongly disagree with or that you don't feel was stated well and needs clarification, we're We'd happy. We'd love to know that to clarify things and we don't want to be misunderstood so let us know what you think bye